This morning's scripture reading comes to us from John 10, 1 through 10, and I'm reading out of the message translation. Let me set this before you as plainly as I can. If a person climbs over or through the fence of a sheep pen, instead of going through the gate, you know he's up to no good, a sheep wrestler. The shepherd walks right up to the gate. The gatekeeper opens the gate to him, and the sheep recognize his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he gets them all out, he leads them, and they follow because they're familiar with his voice. They won't follow a stranger's voice, but will scatter because they aren't used to the sound of it. Jesus told this simple story, but they had no idea what he was talking about. So he tried again. I'll be explicit then. I am the gate for the sheep. All those others are up to no good. Sheep wrestlers, every one of them. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will freely go in and out and find pasture. A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. This is the word of the Lord. Did anyone else this morning not go according to plan? Is that just me? Okay. Yeah, that happens, right? It does happen. And yet, um, it's amazing how I love what you said, Renee, because it's like there's this shepherd ahead of us, right? Going like, okay, this is, this is the way. And I see that it's going to feel like things are blowing up, but they're actually not. Like they're, there's something else happening, right? This chaos that we feel. It's something else. It's, it's bigger. It's deeper. It's more. And if we try to look at just that tiny lens, we might miss a really big, beautiful picture that's unfolding. Athenian historian and general Thucydides once famously said, people go to war for three reasons. Fear, interest, or honor. The question becomes, how do leaders, right? How do people who want to be the people who are evidence of God's love being real, how are we going to navigate those three? And how are we going to decide which of those three is worth fighting for? In the time of today's passage, the war was about who was in and who was out with God. Now, good news, that's all over. We've figured it all out, and we know, right? We're in. I don't know who's out, but we're in, all right? We're going to sing about that later, actually. Um, but the reality is, is, right, there are people right now all around the world who are telling people that they're out. They're out with God, and this is the reason why, and this is, this is the explanation. And they're, they're trying to take on the voice of God and say, let me show you the way. I know the way, and I'll show you the way. The passage that precedes this passage, which actually, if we took out the chapter markers that were put in later, would have been a part of this large story that Jesus was telling us about the man who was born blind. And people asking Jesus, so what did he do? right? What did his parents do? They wanted to make sure that they understood what it was about that that made the man blind so that they could make sure that they weren't on that side, right? They wanted to know, I'm in with God, and that person's out, and here's why. A struggle we continue to encounter. Whose fault is it, and what does it mean? 
But the beautiful thing about Jesus is Jesus was this incredible storyteller, right? He didn't just tell like a story like he was reading a book to his kids and say, okay, that's the end. Do you understand the moral of the story? No, Jesus wove stories together. He took a piece over here that this person would understand and a piece over here that this person would understand. And he wove them together while also stretching them to see new possibilities out of those very woven pieces to see possibilities that were worth fighting for. He did that kind of work because as author Joel Shoemaker puts it, the Lord is in the details. The Lord is in the details. Jesus did not shy away from tough conversations. He pushed to the limits of our understanding. He was not afraid of risky endeavors. He was not afraid to enter into the fires, into the tough spaces, into the hard conversations. In fact, Jesus had a knack for going right to those things, right? When people would try to keep it on the surface level, Jesus would dive right in and say, no, 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 there's no room for that here. We only have so much time. We only have so much time, so we're going to have to get to the real. We can't just keep it simple and easy As professor and former hedge fund manager Nassim Taleb explains, there are some things that benefit from shocks. They thrive and grow when exposed to volatility, randomness, disorder, and stressors, and love adventure. Yet in spite of the ubiquity of this phenomenon, there is no word for the exact opposite of fragile. Let us call it anti fragile. Anti-fragility is beyond resilience or robustness. The resilient resists shocks and stays the same. The anti-fragile gets better. Imagine this. It's, It's the day before a big game, and it doesn't matter the sport, okay? So just picture whatever sport it is for you, right? Whatever, whichever one would be your favorite. So um, for me, it would be running, right? So like we're, we're, at the, we're getting ready to go for it with a marathon and, and we're sitting there and so your coach is saying, how are you going to do this? How are you going to beat the opposing team or the opposing people that you're up against, right? Or, or how are you going to do this? And the, the answer typically goes, we can't worry about the other team. We just have to play our game. We don't have control over what is happening all around us, but we do have control of our response. We do have control over whose voice we're going to listen to. We do have control over how we're going to get quiet in the spaces where we need to get quiet most so that we can become anti-fragile, so that we can become the kind of people who aren't looking for the world to work for them, but are willing to notice that all around the world there is chaos. And this isn't just in this time and space. Yes, it feels so real. It is tangible right now, isn't it? I mean, you can't look any direction without seeing chaos. You can't even look inside your own soul, I would guess, if anyone else is feeling the way I'm feeling this morning. Right in there, it's tumultuous and it's messy and it's, it feels like turbulence on a plane, like you're flying and you thought you knew where you were going and all of a sudden things are shaking up and you go, I don't really actually know how this story is going to end. And right there, right in the middle of it, that is where Jesus meets us and says, I'm actually ahead of you right? I know that this plane is going to land. I know that this story is going to have an ending. I even know what it is. Listen to 
my voice. All around us, nature is showing us that that there is this fabric of chaos, right? Nature is the ultimate model for Talib for how to deal with uncertainty because nature does not need to predict the future in order to deal with its unexpected turns. The information volatility provides is digested and adapted as part of the evolutionary process. In this sense, nature loves small errors. Now I get it that that the things that are chaotic don't feel small. By no means do I want to minimize how big it all feels right now. But in the grand scope of nature, perhaps our view is small and God is big. The truth is, is that nature isn't all that safe. I mean, we saw that with Hurricane Ida. We see that as we continue to see reports of of more hurricanes and wildfires and all these different ways where, where nature is screaming out its loud voice saying, look at me. Look, do you see me? And yet in that space... That very natural space is is the analogy that Jesus gives us today, the metaphor that he lays out. Now, if we don't get it, we're not alone, right? In fact, I love verse 6 where it says, this was simple, but they didn't get it. (laughs) It was simple. The metaphor was simple, but they didn't get it. And, And oftentimes it does feel like I should just get it. Right? Like, I should just get it. I should just be able to look at the situation and be like, yep, this is exactly what to do, and this is exactly how to respond. This is what God would have me do, right? And for years, the teach, the church, even still today, there are churches out there that will tell you the answers are there, right? The answers are in the book. Just read the book, and the book will tell you what to do. But, but life doesn't work like that. Life doesn't work. I think I'm a little bit too movie for that mic today. I apologize. <laughs> oh, is that what it is? Thank you for the heads up. I'm trying to keep it all. There we go. The reality is that the life for the sheep was not safe. They could easily get harmed. They could fall into a pit. They could fall into water. They could not find water on their own. They did not have the capability to get where they needed to be on their own. They needed guidance. They needed direction. They wandered, right? They got lost. We have other metaphors that remind us of this. They were the perfect example of how chaotic nature can be because they didn't even know where to go or what to do. If they did not have a shepherd, they were dead. Like, that was it. There was no, there was no like, happenstance that made it that they were going to find their way to, to living, to life. They needed guidance and direction. They lived a life of constant risk. And the truth is, so do we. We don't have control over what risks are coming our way or what chaos is coming our way. So what does it look like to make peace with uncertainty to make peace with randomness, to make peace with volatility. The reality is, is that we here at Imago are the luckiest, in my opinion, in this regard, because we have an entire framework that says, here you go, this is a space that you can enter. We do it through formation communities, through monthly spiritual practices, through each drinks and orthodoxy, we're in community, we have conversations about trying to wrestle with the easy and the hard. 
But at the end of the day, it all comes back to what Vicki said earlier. Are we willing to believe that we can hear God's voice? Are we willing to believe that we can hear God's voice? Or are we always going to look to someone else to tell us what God is saying? Are we going to look to a person who is human, who has a human life, right? Who's trying to figure things out at the same time? Or are we going to get quiet in our own way, which you can investigate in a multitude of ways. There's a million options and there's people who can help you on that journey. But at the end of the day, you have to find the one that works for you, for your heart and your soul. This past month and a half, I've been engaged in a new spiritual practice called jotting, where at the end of the day, I do this quick examine process of jotting down something I needed, something I wanted, something I felt whether I was undivided, did I match my core essence, and what am I celebrating? And I do not even, I don't have enough minutes, words, hours to explain to you what happened in a month and a half of doing that 50% of the time. I will always own, right? I will always own my accuracy, 50%, right? And 50% of the time, I took five minutes a night to look back And it led me on a journey that reminded me who I am, who God says I am. And it created an anti-fragility in me that allows me to take next steps in my journey that I would have never imagined taking. That if someone had told me two weeks ago even, you're going to do this thing, I would have said, hell no, I'm not going to do that thing. Like that is not actually on the agenda, folks. We're not doing that. Thank you, big three, Father, Son, Spirit, Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer. Love your input, but we're not doing that, right? No, that is what I would, that is the honest to goodness truth. But if you get quiet and you listen to God and God says, do you see you? Stop looking for other people to see you. Do you see you? Do you hear my voice? I know you feel lost. I know there have been some shepherds along the way who took you on the wrong journey, like in Jeremiah 23, 1, where they destroyed and scattered the sheep, or in Ezekiel 34. See, this is what Jesus did. Jesus took things that people knew, that they were familiar with, and he said, listen, you know this. You know this is bad news. I'm good news. Jesus says, I'm the only good news. Those shepherds, those kings, the ones who want to endanger and exploit the flock, they're not the answer. I am the only answer. The imagery of the gatekeeper, the imagery of the good shepherd, it's only for Jesus. If anyone else is trying to tell you that they can, that they can fulfill that role, sheep rustler, right? No one else can do that. Are we in community together? Yes, we are. Thanks be to God. We don't have to do this alone. Can we look to one another? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, it is Jesus' voice and Jesus' voice alone that is going to get us out of those spaces where we have divided from who God created us to be and sets us free to live the life that we were created for. For the sheep, the peace came from the voice of the shepherd. They had one center point, one guiding principle, one voice that they were listening to. They would get around a water hole, and there'd be all these sheeps mixed together with different shepherds, and it looked chaotic and messy, probably like what it looks out on the playground right now. Um, and, And it would just look, you know, like who goes with who and who's listening to who. But when the sheep heard their shepherd's voice, they knew where to go. They knew where to follow. 
Anti-fragility calls upon the love of spontaneity, taking and owning risks as they come, making the most of our encounters with the unknown. It relegates meaning towards strength, resilience, and tenacity, rather than conceding that life is far better played on the safe spectrum of pragmatic sensibility. Let that sink in, friends. How many of us are trying to toe the line of pragmatic sensibility? I'll just keep doing what's right, and everything else will be okay. But that's fragile, because things are coming that we can't expect. Jesus was anti-fragile. Jesus was the picture of anti-fragile, right? Nothing could throw him off his game. Nothing could come because he wasn't about making it about what other people had to say, what other people wanted to do. No, he knew what he was there to do, and he showed up every day, and he did it, and he did it the way that God intended for him to do it. And so there was no fragility, even hanging on a cross, no fragility, always steady, always certain, always on that center point. Ultimately, we can embrace our comfort. We can glide through life on air of content, decadence, and gratified enjoyment. The problem is that misfortune is inevitable. And around certain corners or at impending horizons, we're all due to come face to face with calamity or confront some core shaking catastrophe. The people around Jesus, the Pharisees and the disciples, the followers, the listeners, the scoffers, they all asked the same question. Make it easy for us, Jesus. Make it easy for us. Tell, us. tell us how this works so that we know that we're on the right side. And Jesus, I imagine being extremely sarcastic <laughs> and saying, look, I, I can't make it easy for you. I told you a simple story. You don't get it. Let's try this again. But no matter how many times I tell you, I'm not going to tell you a simple story. I'm not going to tell you an easy story. Or I'm not going to tell you an easy story. I'm going to tell you a simple story, just not easy, right? It's going to be simple. It's just not going to be easy. The thing is, is that there's a gate, right? And if everyone stands still, do we need a gate? No, we don't need a gate if everyone just stands still. There's no need for a gate. Jesus came to be a gatekeeper. You are set free. You are on a journey. You are in this life. All of the metaphors that Jesus used, they're so multifaceted. They were multifaceted then. They're multifaceted now. But the reality is, is that it's a mystery. It's a mystery. And the question becomes, can we hold space for mystery? Can we get quiet enough in our own souls that we can hold space for mystery and how the big three are moving, how our creator and our redeemer and our sustainer in the middle of this war, these wars, know what they're fighting for? Are we able to join alongside and say, we know what you're fighting for? Can we rejoice in the mystery of the one who will be who God will be? I love that Jesus reminds the listeners that, that he knows them by name, right? 
just the way that he used Mary Magdalene's name to reestablish that connection, the way that he said, Lazarus, come out. Jesus calls people intentionally by name. And I believe that for every one of us here, listening online, joining in in any way, and even people who have no idea just the way Vicki could speak into my sermon without us even talking all week, that somehow, some way, the Spirit of God is so big that we're all going to hear the message today that Jesus knows us by name. And when others do not know us by name, when the world seems messy and chaotic and scary, that Jesus says our name, speaks our name, calls us by name over and over again and calls us to abundant life. What is abundant life? It's a way of living and being. It's It's not measured in any kind of material abundance. It's not measured in any kind of happiness quotient. It's not measured in any other way except the way that we are and the way that we live, the way that we be, right? It's nothing we can do. Us threes in the room need to hear that. It is nothing we can do. It is who we will be. The word for abundance is parison, used only twice in the fourth gospel. It's used in this part. It's also used in verse 6, chapter 12, when Jesus tells the disciples to gather up the abundant fragments left over from the meal that just exploded. It is trusting in the abundance of provision through the voice of Jesus, the one who knows our aim but speaks in and through when we're quiet enough to listen, to get curious about what is happening inside our hearts and souls and minds and bodies. It is living anti-fragile. It is sacrificing having it all by privileged standards for a life on fire for something bigger than ourselves. It is the theory and knowledge that emerge only from doing, not studying. It's a balance in our spiritual lives. As Taleb puts it, we got to make talk less cheap. More importantly, we have to ask ourselves on a daily basis, is this what Jesus told us to do? As the back of the book, Jim and Casper, by Jim Henderson and Matt Casper reads, is this what Jesus told us to do? Jesus, 100% of the time, has the flock's best interest at heart. You can see the whole picture. And God has made the call on who's out and who's in. And he took all of these systems that had been created, like the temple sacrifice system and the morality-based self-improvement system and the power-based oppressive systems, right? He walks right into the middle of all those systems and says, guess what? None of these work. There's one way, and it's Jesus. That's it. That's your only option, right? And it doesn't, I don't mean that in some kind of like a a hateful way, right? Because that that has been taken and put into the words of, put in the words, the mouths of people and and used in hateful ways. That is not the way I mean it at all. But the way of love and grace and mercy and listening, that's the way. It's a hard way. It's a lot of risk. It means we give up a lot of comfort. But it is the only way to the love that Jesus promises us. Elizabeth Gilbert, in her iconic work, Eat, Pray, Love, is on a journey, and she goes to the Augustium. The Augustium has seen war, it has seen torn, it has seen empires, right? It has seen so much. She looks all around at the space that is crumbling but standing, the space that looks broken but is still so beautiful. She sees this beautiful image that I share with you now. I look at the Augustium and I think that perhaps my life has not actually been so chaotic after all. It is merely this world that is chaotic, bringing changes to all 
that nobody could have anticipated. The Augustine warns me not to get too attached to any obsolete ideas about who I am, what I represent, whom I belong to, or what function I may once have intended to serve. Yesterday, I might have been a glorious monument to somebody true enough, but tomorrow, I could be a fireworks depository. Even in the eternal city, says the silent Augustium, one must always be prepared for riotous and endless waves of transformation. Let us pray. God, may we hear your voice in the quiet, reminding us that you are transforming us. You are making beautiful things out of dust. We all belong here. There is no one who is excluded because you said so. And when it seems like the world is telling us a different story, May we hear your still small voice ever again reminding us that we are yours. In Jesus' name, amen.